يا ربي لك الحمد حتى ترضى ولك الحمد إذا ما رضيت ولك الحمد بعد الرضاء ولك الحمد أبدا 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 والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ به من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهد الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ثم أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار نقول سبحانه وتعالى في كتابه الكريم بعد قول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بل نقذف بالحق على الباطل فيدمغه فإذا هو زاهق ولكم الويل مما تصفون رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين In the brief khutbah today as you all know it's the final it's the farewell Friday sermon of the month of Ramadan the month of the Quran I figured it would be appropriate to share some realities in regards to the Book of Allah and our times and the attitudes that Muslims and non-Muslims have towards Allah's Book and what needs to be done about it, inshaAllah ta'ala. First and foremost, I want to share with you something you already know, but we live in a religiously pluralistic society. A society in which many different people follow many, many different religions. You have people of different faiths at your work, people of different faiths at your school, at your college, at your university, in your neighborhood, pretty much everybody else, is, it's a diversified society in terms of religions. And when people live in such a society, there are certain ideas that aren't even said, but they, they creep into the thought process of the people. And this is something that creeps into the thought process of the Christian, the Jew, the Hindu, the agnost, whoever, and even sometimes the Muslim. And this idea of, you know, part of getting along with everybody, and part of sort of respecting everybody else, one of the ideas that's pumped into a pluralistic society is that all these religions, people follow these different religions because they come from different backgrounds. They come from different cultures. You're from Morocco and you're from Spain, and you're from you know you're from Egypt or you're from you know Bangladesh or something. That's why you're Muslim. And you know I'm from the Philippines or I'm from Sri Lanka or wherever else, and I, that's why I'm a Buddhist or that's why I'm a Hindu or that's why I'm a Catholic or that's why I'm a Protestant, etc., etc. So really, we're just learn to accept religious differences almost as though these are cultural differences, right? So there's all this this idea is presented that religious differences there's no distinction between them is just, you could think of it like another cultural dis difference. So the fact that you fast, 
in the month of Ramadan and your neighbors know that you fast, they think oh, it's a, such, such, such a cool thing they do in their culture. The first thing that comes in their mind isn't religion. The first thing that comes in their mind is these Eastern people, these brown people, these yellow people, these colored people, they fast. It's a thing they do out there, right? That's what it is. And you know sometimes the Muslim themselves, especially the youth, start thinking like that. Yeah, we're Muslim because we were born in a Muslim family. Or we're, that's, that's our heritage, that's how we are. That's, these are the kinds of things we do because we come from that background. And the, the idea and the conviction that we are Muslim because it is the truth. It has nothing to do with where we come from or what our parents are, the fact that the deen of Allah, Islam, is the truth, that idea becomes diluted. It gets reduced to just a culture. It gets reduced to just a religious heritage. That's all it is. And when you lose sight of the fact that this is the truth, then you, feel, you don't feel the urgency to want to share the truth with others. You're okay with the fact that somebody else is whatever other religion, and you are this religion. It's just traditional differences. Her, you know, these are differences of heritage. But when you're convinced this is the truth, and then when you're convinced of that, then you know everybody else, what they have is falsehood, then you feel a sense of urgency to want to share the truth with others. If there's a building on fire, and you're the only one who knows it's on fire, it's only decency that you would want to let other people know, listen, we need to get out of here, it's on fire. It's, there's a sense of urgency that creeps up into you, but the sense of urgency is gone. It's gone because we don't associate the, 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 the deen of Allah, the book of Allah, the legacy of His Messenger وسلم, as being the ultimate truth that demands to be shared with humanity. That's one problem, a change of attitude needs to take place. Here's another change of attitude that I want to talk to you about. Those of us who do work in the field of da'wah, or organizations, groups, writers, websites, etc., etc., dedicated to spreading and you know, enlightening people with the message of Islam in whatever capacity. May Allah help all the efforts of da'wah, big and small, local and national. May Allah help all of them and put barakah in their work and accept the work from them. And may Allah make all of us contributors to the work of da'wah in all lands, including this one. Now, having said all of that, the work of da'wah, of sharing the message of Islam with the larger society, let's just talk about it in the American context briefly, this work has a few obstacles in front of it. And this work has right now been reorganized and it's been shaped not according to our liking or according to the principles of our book and our legacy, but according to a different agenda. And this is what I wanted to bring before you. You know, in the Prophet's time, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Qur'an was the main vehicle of da'wah. The Messenger والسلام, was commanded, اُتْلُوا مَا أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ Read what has, been read to you, what, what has been revealed to you from the book. Read it on to the people, recite it on to them. وَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ Remind by means of the Qur'an. Makkan Surah, right? Who are you reminding by Qur'an? Whoever fear, fears the promise, even if a disbeliever has some fear of the promise, they'll be reminded by the Qur'an. The Qur'an was a means by which the message of Allah was delivered to people. But it, and you know, when this message was delivered, some people didn't want to hear it. Some people wanted to distract this conversation. They didn't want to have this conversation that is the central message of the book. So they started this tactic, you can call it irrelevant questions, they started asking the Messenger ﷺ questions that are almost tangents. So that he would be so busy answering those questions, he never gets to talk about what he wants to talk about. So they would say to him, we will believe in what you have to say, but just answer this, who sends you revelation? Which angel? What's his name? If you just tell us that, we'll believe. 
So the ayat come down and he answers properly. He says, Jibreel and they say, well, we don't like him actually. Let's ask you another question. How about this? Who were the people of the cave? If you just answer that, we're going to believe. So the Qur'an answers, Ashab al-Kahf. Right? We recite this in Surah al-Kahf. So now when the, that answer is given, well, no, we have another question actually. What is the ruh? Where does it come from? Who's Dhul Qarnayn? Are these central questions? You have to understand. The central idea was believe in this messenger. The central concept was La ilaha illallah. The central concept was don't change with your tongue the book that Allah had revealed to you. Don't hide what Allah has sent to you. That was the message. They don't want to accept that message. So what's the easiest tactic? Change the conversation by changing the questions. It's a very clever tactic. It's very clever. And you know it's even used today. You go on a TV, if you, it's a TV interview, and the host, the guy who's hosting the show, and there's an expert, some scholar, whatever area, maybe it's a historian, maybe it's a political scientist, whatever. That historian will never get to say what he wants to say because the host keeps changing the questions. He controls the entire conversation. What I'm trying to get across is whoever controls the questions controls the conversation. This, this is true in media, this is true in da'wah, this is true in discourse in general. Whoever controls the questions controls the conversation. The thing in the Qur'an is Allah did address some of their questions, then He stopped. Then Allah started asking questions Himself. Because Allah Himself takes control of the conversation. Why don't you think? Right? Do you have a book that you study from? Bring it forward. Asking questions and making demands on the people who disbelieve. But now we're living in times where we are not the ones, the Muslims are not the ones, the Da'is are not the ones asking the questions. Questions are being asked of us. Hey, how come Islam condones terrorism? How come you people hate women so much? How come you do this? How come you do that? And you're, we're put in a position where we're constantly telling people, no, 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 Islam is not this. No, Islam is not that. No, Islam is not that either. And it's not this either. And no, this is not what the Quran actually says. And this is not this and that. So we're so busy telling people what Islam is not, we never get a chance to tell them what Islam is. We never get a chance to speak. Because the questions are not in our control. We have to understand, this. the ayah I recited before you from Surah Al-Anbiya, very powerful, very, very powerful ayah. Allah Azza wa Jal in this ayah, He depicts the message of this deen and the book of Allah, and this truth, this La ilaha illallah, this Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that is running in our blood, this, this truth, Allah gives it an image. Sometimes in the Qur'an, a lesson is taught by means of drawing a picture in your mind. Allah Azza wa says, بَلْ نَقْذِفُ بِالْحَقِّ عَلَى الْبَطْرِ We spear the truth against the falsehood. The image being drawn is that truth, or Islam is like a spear, it's like a weapon. This truth, truth is like a weapon. And it's being hurled, it's been launched against falsehood, who's a guy running away from a spear obviously. So who's on the offensive? The spear. And who's running away? The falsehood. Compare that to our times. Who's actually running after who? It's like the guy who's he's running after the spear. It's the other way around. We're on the run. We're not answering. We're not the one asking the questions. The tables have been turned. Then Allah describes fayad maghuhu. Then the spear bashes the skull of falsehood in. Now this is a very graphic image in the ayah. Very graphic image. It's not Allah doesn't just say truth defeats falsehood. Truth kills falsehood. It bashes its skull in. Its its brains get bashed out. In other words, what we're learning is. Truth has no tolerance, has no tolerance for falsehood. 
Islam has no tolerance for ideas that are contrary to the truth. We're not saying we're intolerant of non-Muslims. That's not what we're saying. We are saying truth cannot stand falsehood. Truth has no tolerance. No, it cannot stand next to it and, and be okay. It, if it sees it, it has to bash its skull in. That's what it has to do. That's what it has to do. That's what it must do by definition. In other words, truth is incredibly offended by the existence of falsehood. It's offended by the existence of falsehood. And we are in a time now where falsehood is offended by the existence of Islam. It's offended by the existence of the truth. This is one problem I wanted to share with you. But add to this one more thing. The elders among us, those of us that come from, a different, from the Muslim world especially, maybe they were attending halaqat when they were younger. They were in the company of scholars when they were younger. They, were, they built this love and affection for the deen as they were growing up. So they have this ghira for Islam. They have this, you know, this, this, uh, this chivalry towards Islam. They have courage and they have this, this confidence in the deen. But that confidence today does not exist among their own children. It does not exist among our youth. Our youth are only at the masjid because we drag them here. They're only at Sunday school because you left without them. They're, they're not here. They're not at the halaqat. The halaqat are filled with people with gray beards and white beards. They're not being attended by the 16-year-olds and the 14-year-olds. And you know what? When they go to school, they are learning that Islam worships the moon god. That's what they're learning in public school. I was listening to a preacher, you know, I, I live in Texas, and there's a lot of, you know, Christian talk radio, a lot of it. And now, there are actually talk radio shows dedicated to the Muslim audience. They want to talk to Muslims, want to bring them from darkness to light, bring them to Jesus. They're talking to Muslims on talk radio, inviting them to call in. And these, they have a supposedly Qur'an expert on the radio show, we want to share our faith with you, we understand you think, you know, that believing that Jesus is the Son of God is shirk, and they know these terminologies, and they, they quote ayat of the Qur'an. They're actually out there to give the message of, of Christianity to Muslims. Right? And I'm listening, and their evidences are almost, wallahi, laughable. They are laughable. But you know, I also got very scared when I was listening. And I, I called in just to see what happens. Anyway, they, they, they hung up on me, but, you know. But I, want, I was very scared. You know why? What's the biggest weapon these people have? What's the biggest weapon? Those who call to falsehood. And instead of falsehood being on the run, now it's attacking the truth, right? What's the biggest weapon they have? The biggest weapon they have is the ignorance of the Muslims. The biggest weapon they have is that we don't know our deen. Our kids don't know their deen. They don't have the confidence that this is the truth. Instead, and this is the point I want to actually try to conclude with, because this is the heart of the matter, what I want to share with you. I don't just want to bring the problem before you, I want to share with you how do we get to a solution? How do we start fixing things too? Look, in our times, if you want to learn something about the Qur'an, of course you ask the ultimate shaykh, Google, right? You put in Qur'an or whatever, and you, you want to learn something about the Qur'an and a bunch of hits come up. You know, on the internet, in the media, on YouTube, whatever else, there is far more literature and media and, and content available against the Qur'an, attacking the Qur'an. There's far more available against the Qur'an and very, very little in comparison available in defense of the Qur'an or pro the Book of Allah. The criticisms far outweigh the appreciation of the Book of Allah. I want to share something else with you. For a millennium and a half, this ummah, 
And it's scholars that span every continent, every continent, they have been obsessed with the miraculous power of this book. They have been obsessed with the Qur'an's incredible majesty. And how, how it, can't, it can't possibly be the word of a human being. Thousands upon thousands of scholars have given their entire lives studying the miracle of the Qur'an in the Muslim tradition. And then for the last three, four hundred years, the Christian tradition, move up inshallah ta'ala, the crowd is filling up, so uh, move as much as you can. In the Christian world, and in the European world, the Qur'an started being studied formally about four hundred years ago. They started studying Islam. Why did they start studying Islam? So they, had, they could defeat the new enemy. That, that was the idea, right? So they have been writing critical works against the Qur'an for about four hundred years now. In the, in the Christian world, basically. Okay? If you try to say, for the we're not even talking about the non-Muslim, let's just talk about the Muslim. If the Muslim wants to learn something about the Qur'an, do they have today more access to what has been written by our own scholars about the Qur'an, or do they have easier access to what is the attacks on the Qur'an? They have easier access to the attacks on the Qur'an. Even the Muslim today says, how come this ayah says one day is equal to 50,000, and that Ayah says one day is equal to 1,000. How come he says over here this? How come he says over here that? The Muslim is asking these questions. The Muslim is saying, how come this doesn't make any sense about the Quran? We have reached that point. We have reached that point. Here we were supposed to poke questions to others, and now our own are asking questions about their own book. That is the reality in which we live. How do we counter this reality? How do we produce youth, especially youth, young men and women, that we are so scared and we become defensive, right? This, the, one of the uh, things before I conclude this khutbah is the impact of this mentality. This mentality that we have to constantly answer and defend ourselves, right? Instead of Islam being on the ideological offensive, it's on the defensive constantly. What is the consequence of that? We have the idea we have to protect our children from the fitna of the outside world, right? This is haram and that's haram and we have to, you know, how are we going to raise our children? We're scared, we're scared to death about what's going to happen to our kids. Isn't that the case? You know, if we were really producing children of Islam, if we were producing members of this ummah, carriers of this message, then the entire high school would be scared. Man, my kids, their Christianity is going to go away because there's a Muslim kid in that school. We would have that kind of confidence. We wouldn't shake because of what's around us. Everything around us would shake because we're there. That's the kind of confidence Islam puts in someone when they understand what they believe. When they have the Book of Allah empowering them. Right? I know of a case of a brother I know actually, when he was in high school, he had memorized Quran before, he had studied his deen, and he went into public school. And his parents were told, don't put him in public school, put him in you know, Islamic school, or keep him, in the, keep him in the madrasa, this and that. He said, no, I want to go to public school. Ask him why he wants to go to public school, those people need the message. That's what he said. This 15 year old kid. And he goes, by the time he graduates from high school, 18 kids have become Muslim in that high school. This is confidence in your deen. This is what we're supposed to produce. We're supposed to, we're not, you know in sports they say the best defense is offense, right? The best preservation of our youth is the production of da'is. You produce people that carry this message and deliver this message and are content with this message and are deeply, deeply confident with this message. You produce that and you don't have to worry about them, you know, they're not going to end up at the nightclub, and they're not going to do alcohol, and they're not going to have a girl, they're not going to worry about these things, because they have a higher mission in life then. You've empowered them on something greater. When there's a void of a higher purpose in life, then you have these problems. Then they look for other things to fulfill that void. But our deen gives us purpose. Wallahi, it empowers youth. 
it, it puts them on a different scale. It puts them on a different platform than everybody else. And you know, we don't, we, we've become a people that want to protect ourselves, cut ourselves off from the rest of society. The only justification, ulama have told you this for decades now. This is not, I'm not the first one to tell you this. The only real justification for Muslims living in this land is da'wah. That's the only real justification. So if we're always hiding away and saying, oh my God, if we're like that, then there's a serious problem. If we don't know how to handle somebody who walks into the masjid, a Jehovah's Witness, right, or a preacher, or a guy with tattoos all over his body walks into the masjid, and we don't know how to handle it, that's our problem, not his problem. That's our problem. We don't know how to deal with them. We don't know how to deal with the larger society. And we were here to deliver this message, to carry its message in our, in our speech and our actions. In the, in the four or five minutes that I have left, I want to share with you a, a couple of things that are hopefully food for thought for you and your family, inshaAllah ta'ala. First and foremost, there are two things about the, about the Qur'an, that at least the Qur'anic studies, not larger Islamic studies, just Qur'anic studies, that all families should be aware of. This, this book is something we should understand, but it's at the same time something we should appreciate. The Qur'an is not just something to be understood, it's also something to be appreciated. What does that mean? We have to appreciate the fact that this is actually from Allah. We have to appreciate the fact that a human being couldn't possibly produce this. It couldn't possibly be from a human. It's impossible. That cannot be. Now how do you come to that appreciation until you become a student of its power and its majesty? Until even for the English speaker, you know the vast majority of Muslims today are not Arabs or Arabic speakers. The vast majority of Muslims. But when you ask about, the, if you ask the question, what is the amazing power of the Qur'an? What makes it so perfect? What's, what makes it so flawless? What makes it so inimitable? It can't be reproduced. The answer will always be, it's, it's pristine Arabic. It's Arabic is so perfect that it can't be reproduced. Is that the answer you always get? Now, for the for majority of Muslims who don't know Arabic, are they ever going to benefit from that answer? No. So do we stop there and say, well, the, 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 the not so knowledgeable Muslim comes and says, I want to know why the Qur'an is a miracle. And the Shaykh tells him, because it's got amazing Arabic. It couldn't be by the human being. The poets couldn't come up with anything like it. And he says, well, I, I want to know how that works. That's not enough for me. How is it better than Shakespeare? How is it better than any other literature? I want to know more. Well, you have to know Arabic. Oh, uh, I don't have time to learn Arabic. Well, too bad for you. We can't do that. We can't do that. Just because we're living in a time, this da'wah, this, this miracle, and this beauty of this book, whatever, yes, all of balagha of the Qur'an cannot be shared with people in, in any other language. But a lot of it can be. A lot of the beauty and the power and the majesty of this book can be shared. A lot of the questions can be answered. You know, when, when uh, the average Muslim is even asking, how come the Qur'an repeats itself so much? How come it says the same thing over and over and over again? How come a little bit of the story here, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there? And why are they placed so sporadically? Right? Muslims are asking these questions. Wallahi, Muslims are asking these questions. How come, for example, in the Qur'an, there's a Makki surah, there's a Madani surah, there's a Makki surah, it's all chronologically all over the place. How come, the first revelation is not in the beginning, it's all the way at the end. Right? All these kinds of questions Muslims are asking today and they have answers. Well, we have to sit and seek them. We have to sit and actually explore this. And when you do explore this, you will come to a conclusion. You will come to the conclusion that this book, this book is superior in terms of its beauty. If you appreciate it, it's superior than any literature ever known to man. You will come to that conclusion yourself. And when you come to that conclusion yourself, 
then you have the confidence in this deen that cannot be shaken. You have to have confidence in this book first. I wanted to share with you in the beginning, I'll, I'll do this in the, in the conclusion now, the ayat from Surah Al-Ankabut. وَقَالُوا لَوْلَا نُزِّلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَاتٌ مِنْ رَبِّهِ No, the, the kuffar said, how come no miracle comes to him? How come he just has words? How come, you know, the sky doesn't crack open, water, you know, coming out of the, you know, the, the ground? Or maybe pond or gold being delivered from the sand. Some miracle, show us something. The previous prophets, you know, a dead guy came back to life, a river parted. Some pretty cool stuff happened. Why don't, how, does he, how come he doesn't show us a miraculous sign? Allah says, إِنَّمَا الْآيَاتُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Allah tells the Messenger to say, the ayat, the miraculous signs belong to Allah. And I am only here to clearly warn. I'm a clear warner to you, that's it. The next ayah says, أَوَلَمْ يَكْفِيهِمْ أَوَلَمْ يَكْفِيهِمْ أَنَّا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ يُطْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ Isn't it enough for them that we have sent the book to be read to them? We have sent the book on to you to be read to them? They asked for a miracle and Allah said, isn't the book enough? Allah said, isn't the book enough? Right? They wanted to be convinced. They wanted to see something supernatural. They wanted to see something that couldn't be human. And Allah said, isn't the book enough? If Allah said, isn't the book enough, then then it's true even now, the book is still enough. We're not studying, we're not spending the time, we are not appreciating its miracle. The book is still enough. SubhanAllah, it's such a powerful message of this book, it's such an empowering message. But we have to stop becoming apologetic, we have to stop becoming defensive, we have to learn to equip ourselves with that spear. That spear of knowledge of this deen, of confidence in this deen, of really standing up and saying, yes, we have the truth. We're not just another religion, just please accept us as another acceptable religion in society. You know, they're okay with Chinese Muslims or, or Chinese Americans and they're okay with, you know, Sri Lankan Americans and they're okay with whatever other Hispanic Americans. They should be okay with Muslim Americans too. They should be, but we're, we're here for more than that. We're not just here so people are okay with us. <laughs> we're not just here for that. We're here for a higher purpose. We're here to deliver a message. And when, you know, in the history of the prophets, whenever a messenger got up to deliver a message, they got in trouble. They, they suffered because they delivered a message. Every one of them. Every one of them. So if you, are, you and I are thinking, we should be okay here, then think again. If we're going to do da'wah, and if we don't do da'wah, Allah's punishment will come. If we don't do our job, Allah's punishment will come. And if we do our job, then Allah will test us definitely. He will definitely test us. May Allah Azza wa make us capable and strong to withstand that test. May Allah make us an ummah that carries the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam with confidence. May Allah Azza wa infuse into our youth especially the ones that are surrounded by kufr and surrounded by shirk and surrounded by doubt. They're surrounded by those things. May Allah make them carriers of this message with, with great confidence. May Allah Azza wa infuse into ourselves and our families a love of the sunnah of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and a love of learning and reciting and remembering Allah by means of His book. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.